Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of TheHorse.com. Tonight our topic is Itchy Horses Dealing with Seasonal Skin Issues, and it's brought to you by Kinetic Vet, maker of the EquiShield line of horse skincare products. If you're listening, you've probably had an itchy horse. The day after the last spring frost, your horse gets raised bumps and he's soon rubbing against the fence, the barn, or anything else he can. Those bumps turn raw and he's obviously extremely uncomfortable. Or your horse has had some kind of skin funk on her legs or in her girth area that you just can't seem to get rid of. Skin issues in horses are always super frustrating. And to help us out, we're joined tonight by two equine dermatology experts. We have Dr. Ann Rashmere of Michigan State University, and Dr. Susan White, who's from the University of Georgia and also a dermatology consultant for Kinetic Vet. Welcome to both of you. Thank Hi, you. Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm excited about this conversation. I know our audience is too. We had a, a big sign up tonight with lots of questions about itchy horses. Um, but let's start with you, Dr. Rashmer. Can you tell us a little bit about your interest and experience with equine skin issues? Because I know you're also a board certified surgeon um, and then also have an interest in dermatology. That's right. That's right. It's a little different, um, I think, than than some of the other combinations. But look, I actually think my interest started when I was about 10 years old, and I washed my horse's beautiful white um, show pad in biz detergent and proceeded to give him the worst contact dermatitis in just the area. He, he basically had hives just exactly where that saddle pad sat. And I think that's really kind of started it. Then um, in vet school, I got to work with a guy called Tony Standard, um, pretty much the godfather of equine skin disease. And then throughout my career, I've been able to work in places that was a significant amount of, um, of skin problems with horses. And then I've really developed an interest in researching what causes some of these diseases and some new novel treatments for them. Okay. And Dr. White, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in managing some of these skin issues in horses? I am also originally from California and as a student also studied under Dr. Tony Standard, so we have that in common. I spent the majority of my career in Georgia and uh, I think the Southeast is the capital of uh, dermatologic disorders in horses, particularly seasonal ones. And I think I probably initially got interested by default because there was so much of it. But I found um, the multifactorial influences on skin disease and coping with different strategies for different horses fascinating. And I was also very impressed with the loyalty of some of the clients, not only to their horse, but also to me in continuing to work together to come to the bottom of some of these issues. Um, and uh, as Dr. Rashmir will probably say, there's not that many equine-focused veterinarians that do have a deep interest in skin issues. Um, and so we- I think that's very true. Yes, I think that's we, very you know, true. We, we, we do a good job of talking horse, but we're also very interested in the science of dermatology. Um, and um, I, I joke that you don't have to see skin diseases at 3 a.m. in the morning I'm an internal medicine specialist, and I do a lot of very sick animals in the middle of the night. Uh, well, and and there aren't like, when we um, put together dermatology events or uh, you know, everything we do on the horse and or in the horse magazine and the horse.com goes 
uh, past reviewers and and we have this very kind of small group of people who are dermatology experts um, that can do that for us and we're we're really glad to have both of you here tonight to talk with us about the subject but what's really interesting is on the other hand this topic um, we've received more questions on this topic than any other topic in probably the last three years so there's obviously a need for the information and and an interest from the horse owners um, so with that in mind we're gonna go ahead and uh, get started on questions but first I want to review our Ask the Horse Live format because I know there are so many uh, of you out there. I can look at my computer in front of me and see all of you out there listening live. Um, so how the event goes, our format, is that we'll be starting with the questions that everyone submitted during registrations. Um, if you have a question you'd, ask, you'd like to ask while we're live or if you would like uh, one of the doctors to to follow up on or clarify a response, you can enter your question in the chat window in front of you. Uh, we're doing our best to get to as many of your questions as we can tonight. Um, and we're gonna start with uh, insect hypersensitivity because we had a lot of questions about this. And Dr. Rashmer, I'm gonna start with you um, to give us a little bit of an overview of the disease because we did have so many questions about it or the condition. Um, so the majority of the questions that came in tonight were about sweet itch or about allergic reaction to bug bites. And this is really frustrating for us horse owners and managing our horses is really, um, we struggle with it. Um, and it makes the horses so miserable. So before we get started, can you explain to us a little bit about what sweet itch is and what causes it? Absolutely, love to. One of my favorites, in fact, so thank you. <laughs> so. Here's the, um, the truth of the matter. One of the most common causes of skin disease in horses is a reaction to bug bites. So horses that get hives, horses that rub themselves raw, horses that um, have their mane and, and tail basically shredded um, from itch or their ventral midline, um, really commonly these things are a result of bug bites. And sweet itch in particular is a specific type of bug. Lots of, there are lots of bugs that bite horses, right? But sweet itch is generally reserved for those bugs called culicoides. They're gnats, actually. There's several, actually lots of species of them. And they tend to feed in certain areas of the horse. Um, they tend to feed on, you know, the, in the mane and tail. They tend to feed on the ventral midline. There's a little bit of a difference between the species of these gnats, uh, exactly where they like to feed but they can be so irritating to the horse and they can create such inflammation in the horse's skin, you actually can't, can't hardly even saddle them. And some horses, they actually have to take them out of performance events because they're so bothered by their skin. Um, interestingly enough, just in general, um, horses that are on the racetrack, it doesn't matter what their, their, um, their former racing is, standardbreds, <clears throat> excuse me, thoroughbreds, racing Arabs, racing court horses, whatever. Um, one, of the, one of the top 10 reasons they all come out of racing or have to come out of racing is because they've got skin disease. So it's a, a problem for horses in the backyard. It's a problem for performance horses. And I think that's why there's so many people listening because it really affects horses all walks of life. And since bug bite sensitivity is so prevalent amongst the skin diseases, it's something that a lot of people certainly would be interested in. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that I had a, a super, super fancy mare that I got to ride. So fancy, beautiful black uh, 
Swedish warm blood mare, and she had Swedish um, to the point where she'd rub out her mane so you wouldn't have mane to braid, which is unsightly when you're taking them to shows, um, but also it just kind of made her difficult to train at times um, because she Behaviorally, couldn't concentrate because yeah. she was so uncomfortable. Right. So, yeah. So, um, and, well, here, you know, it's interesting because there are some things we can do to really help these horses, right? And we know the most important thing, and it sounds probably pretty difficult for um, for some ways of some, some of the ways we keep horses, but probably the most important thing we can do is actually try and control the bug population. Really difficult, right? But Swedish in particular, um, they're not great flyers. They don't fly from long ways away, and they have to actually breed in standing water. So those things in your property that actually can cause these um, these gnats to actually hatch. If you can just get rid of some of the water sources, if you can, um, standing water sources, okay, if you can just do things like um, put, they don't fly well, so put fans in the stall. Sometimes it takes two fans um, facing different ways. Fly spurs within the stall, and we don't need the full on barn expensive fly spurs all the time for these horses. You can buy the ones from the, um, gosh, the tractor supply or co ops, and uh, you know, about $30 they go on sale at the end of the year, probably for even less. Um, and time it so that you release the fly sprays every half hour. Um, so, and, you know, the feed through fly uh, materials, the horses are turned out in pasture. We can use like the Vectra 3D products, which basically are topicals. They last, they're, they're actually licensed for dogs, but there's provisional licensure for horses as well. So, um, look, there's lots we can do to control the population and the way the horses get fit, you know, turning them out when the flies don't feed or the, the nets don't feed. Um, using the fly sheets, really great. Um, the ones with the belly bands in particular, if they have true Swedish, because a lot of those Kilicotes like to feed on, on their ventral midline or their belly, basically. Um, and then the impregnated fly sheets that have um, materials in them so that the that, that actually the flies and mites don't even want to land on them. And then also nutritionally, we know that omega fatty acid supplementation at a significant rate, not a teaspoon sort of a, a amount. Generally, we, we work up to a pound a day per horse. And over six weeks, um, usually see some some improvement within two or three weeks, but over six weeks, it incorporates into their membranes of their um, cells of their skin, and it actually makes them less reactive to these um, all, all the biting insects. So there's lots of things we can do. It's not you know it's not without hope. So, Dr. White, for tonight's event, we had nearly 500 questions that were submitted ahead of time, and as I read through them, I noticed that a majority of them came from Florida, or you've already mentioned California. Is this a coincidence, or is there a reason that more horses in these states are having skin issues, whether it's Swedish or insect hypersensitivity or fungal or bacterial type skin diseases? Well, as far as the insect bite hypersensitivity, and Dr. Rashmir covered a lot in a very short period of time. I would just like to emphasize that it's not just gnats, and it's not just culicoides, a specific type of gnat. It can be anything that flies and bites that can create these reactions. And one of the reasons I think you find in California and Florida that there's a bigger problem, perhaps um, because of the number of questions, is the climate. Uh, a, a good part of the state of California has uh, climate that is um, uh, inducive of keeping insects alive and flying and reproducing year-round, as does Florida. That's one, one reason. The second reason would be that regardless of why you have a horse that is peritic,
sick, meaning that they have the itch sensation and they scratch. It will be made much worse. The sensation of itch will be made worse by solar radiation, um, by heat, and by humidity. And certainly in California, you can have heat and solar radiation. And depending on where you are and what the irrigation practices are, you can have humidity there uh, too. And in Florida, you have heat and humidity in spades as well as solar radiation. Uh, it's not uncommon for me that sees horses that travel um, to Florida in the winter and somewhere in the north, um, anywhere from the northeast all the way to Montana in the summer, and I commonly hear, you know, it's always worse when I'm down here in the in the uh, south, and I think that's a big part of it. Look, I I think that's really important too. You know, one of the things that we also know about those areas, um, particularly because the weather is the way it is, um, there's more allergens in general in those areas, right? When the snow has covered the ground in Michigan, not a whole lot out there blooming, right? But you know, if you've got nice weather and things continue to bloom. So horses, just like humans and dogs, have a multiple, uh, generally allergic to multiple things at a certain time. And so we kind of raise the threshold for, I guess it's actually lower the threshold for these guys because they're allergic to so many things that are in the environment at a given time. So I think that's part of it too. What do you think, Susie? Oh, I think so. I think that the more we learn about um, the propensity for allergy, these regardless of the animal, be it dog, horses, man, uh, we know that there's an inflammatory profile in those animals that are prone to develop allergies, and they can be develop allergies to a, a wide variety of environmental um, atropins, if you will, and it's additive. If you have allergies, the more you're exposed to those things that trigger the inflammatory response, um, as that exposure mounts, the more likely you are to see clinical signs. And the other thing that we've learned about the inflammation that occurs in the skin, particularly with um, like insect bite hypersensitivities, is that once you initiate that inflammatory reaction that induces uh, uh, itching, it also has a local augmentative reaction within the skin that perpetuates that inflammation. And then you add heat and solar radiation and humidity on top of that. I liken it to people that have, and perhaps none of the audience has ever suffered this. I have sort of a total body, really bad poison ivy outbreak, then go out and stand in the sun in the middle of the afternoon. That's yes. true misery. And it's why yes. the horses don't behave well. You know, they feel bad in addition to itching. Um, so I don't want to get off the topic of skin issues too far, but I do want to ask if our horses are having an allergic reaction on the skin, are these the same horses that might have issues with heaves or um, from uh, food or um, breathing in allergens, pollens, um, other sorts of things, but not just the insects? Yes, and they can. They don't have to, but they very well can. And um, I often recommend the very sensitive horses that they be managed in an environment as allergen-free as you can get it. So that, in horsemen's terms, it's treat your horse like they have um, recurrent airway obstruction or heaves if they have severe uh, 
skin allergies because anything you can do to dampen down their exposure to allergies may help them. And we also know that from more recent work that, that Dr. Rashmere has, has touched on that the omega-3 fatty acids help repair the skin. And many of these allergic animals have, have abnormalities in the lipid profile of their skin cells, which allows allergens to penetrate the skin more easily. So that so, goes along with what she said. You know, if you live in Michigan and there's three feet of snow on the ground, and particularly if the horse is not in a closed-up barn full of moldy hay, there are not nearly as many triggers in the environment as there are when in the summertime. The summer, or, right, or any place, you know, places like California, Florida, continue to have it. Yeah. Right. So, Dr. White, we have a question from Mike in Colorado, and he wants to know if blood tests for allergies are worthwhile or should you opt for a skin test instead. Can you explain to us uh, the difference between some of these different tests that we have for um, our horses' allergies and skin conditions? Uh, yes. First of all, I want us to be sure that um, our listeners realize that the reason that you would do either one of these tests is to create a specific immune therapy for managing allergies and that it's not a diagnostic test <clears throat> that says, okay, these are the, the five or the 35 things that the animal is allergic to because um, both of them may identify antibodies to different antigens that are not causing clinical disease. <clears throat> so you have to use these allergy tests in concert with the clinical signs and the examination that your veterinarian would do. Um, I believe in a lot of veterinary dermatologists, be they, you know, regardless of the species, but most of us in the equine world believe that the intradermal skin tests um, are a, better than the um, tests that are done on uh, serum or plasma. And the reason being that you're looking for skin sensitizing um, allergens. You're looking for allergens that are in the skin and that where you have the antibodies that react to them. And that's, you know, the crux of the clinical signs. Whereas if you find an antibody to an allergen circulating in the blood, it does not necessarily correlate with skin disease. Um, that being said, there's a lot that we don't fully understand about um, the consequences of either one of these tests. And um, their best use is in concert with very careful history. Um, and that includes an environmental evaluation, uh, physical evaluation, and then looking at the um, environment and the results of the test to design specific um, immune mediated therapy. Um, the long, gold standard, I would say, is the intradermal skin test. And Dr. Rashmir, please jump in if you have a different No, absolutely. Opinion. Absolutely. And there have been a lot of studies on both. And there's not a single study that would ever point to um, the blood test being anywhere near as useful for trying to hyposensitize your horse as the skin test. So it is still the gold standard. So, um, Dr. Dr. Rashford, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. did I, did you have something else to add? 
So Sorry. our next our next question is related, um, and it's Gail in Minnesota, and she wants to know what are is your opinion or experience with the skin testing and using allergy shots uh, that are customized according to those skin results? Right. Look, I actually like the skin testing, and um, Dr. White, I, I think that you also do too, from speaking to you before. Is that yes. right? I mean, you yes. actually like it. You, I, in your hands, you're very comfortable that it, you've helped a lot of horses with it. And I think it, it's true um, that it is a, a very valuable way to go. The, the couple things with that, okay, it's not a cure-all. So if we do desensitize the horse to the allergens, that doesn't mean that we can stick them in an environment full of biting flies and everything else. Um, it helps, but you still have to address the environment on these horses. Um, and then the other thing I think it's worthwhile pointing out is you can't, there is a limited number of things you can test for. You can't test for everything the horse could possibly be allergic to. And so you know, we do our best, we go for the most common things. It's still be sticking the horse 25 to 50 times um, to see what they're sensitive to. Um, and then the final thing probably worthwhile pointing out is... Um, picking your that, antigens. Yeah, you gotta pick your antigens. Um, and you know, veterinarians that aren't comfortable with it, we, look, we're both available for consulting anytime and, and we can help with that. But, but the other thing I wanted to say was that um, the, the people will actually say to me, like I'll, I'll, the horse will come in, I'll go, oh gosh, this horse got chelicotis for sensitivity, just from the pattern that the animals have has, has been bit and is irritated with, okay? And they'll say, and I think it's a really good question, why don't you just give them the allergy shots for that then? Right? I mean, that makes sense. I, I can make the diagnosis without the allergy shots. But the problem is that that's the part that you're, that horse is showing right then the most. Again, it's an additive effect. So they're allergic to also maybe some of the grasses, so they're allergic to some of the other insects, they're allergic to perhaps something in their diet. Um, so what we do is we actually give them a allergy shots towards a variety of things that they're most allergic to, and that's the best way to control the disease. Yeah, and it's very important to have somebody who's experienced at reading the IDT uh, testing and to and to and when you pick out the which antigens you're going to include in the therapy that's where the whole picture comes in i mean that's dr ashmere said that you know there might be grasses there might be you know insects there might be a number of things and 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 that's that's part of the art of doing this and the, and she did mention it's not a cure-all i think it's very very important to realize that if you have a horse that it's the height of the itch scratch cycle in August and September who's been making hamburger out of themselves now's not the time to do IDT to skin <laughs> testing and initiate allergy shots and think they're going to work the ideal time to test them is in the winter when they're not reacting so severely and then you need to begin the therapy prior to the seasonal onset of the clinical signs and you need to invest a minimum of six months and everything you read that has been written in the literature will say uh, a year before you know that whether or not you've gotten the full benefit. And uh, it's hard. I think we've refined how we do this to the point now that when you read the literature that 60 to 80% of horses can be helped significantly with allergy shots. But you do need to 
pick your cases and pick your time and realize that there are some that are not going to respond. And so I never offer that as the first thing you're going to do. Right. When they call in front of the appointment for it, I actually usually get on the phone and say, have you tried this, this, and this first? And if you still have a problem, um, you know, we'd love to schedule you for an appointment to have that done. So you can do a lot to manage these horses, some horses, anyway, not every horse, but there are a lot of things you can do for the environment and for the horse that um, might help the horse and you would not necessarily need to be skin testing that horse. Yeah. Dr. White, we have a question from Glenn in South Carolina, and Glenn wants to know if, if there's an antihistamine that works for horses with this issue. There are a number of antihistamines that have been used by veterinarians in different situations. Um, there is not one single antihistamine that works well in all horses, and it's much like people. There are some antihistamines that work well in some people and don't work well in others. And so if you're using an antihistamine as part, there's no antihistamine that is going to solve the problem. It's not a one-off treatment. You can give this drug and it's going to solve your problem. But, um, you know, if, you, if, you, if antihistamines are part of the management protocol for an animal, oftentimes you have to work with your veterinarian and um, try different dosages and sometimes different drugs. Um, my own favorite, the one that is most helpful in my hands, is hydroxazine. Um, Dr. Rashmir and I have this conversation every time we talk. <laughs> that yes. citrazine is uh, Dr. Tony Yu's go-to antihistamine. Doesn't do much in the horse's we see, and I think that it just means you have to you have to look at the various drugs. You have to try them um, uh, in a prospective plan. You know, instead of just sort of throwing drugs at an animal in hope, you say, okay, I'm going to use this, and if it works, this is going to be the response, and I'm going to do it for this length of time, and then evaluate whether it's helping me or not. And so I just leave it at that because I don't reach for antihistamines. It's not the first thing that me I either. do, yeah, but it either. may be part. And if you're getting a message out of this, this is it takes multiple approaches to manage the allergic horse. You have to do your best avoidance. You have to manage the environment. You have to use different treatment strategies. Um, there isn't a single answer. And I think I'll just leave it at that because it, you know, you really need to have this discussion of antihistamines with your veterinarian. Dr. Rashmer, we have a question from Susan in Davis, California, and Susan wants to know what you was, would suggest for treating a horse that is suffering from hives on its skin. What are your recommendations for that? Well, if I walked out to the barn and saw my horse covered in hives, probably the first thing I would do is, is take the horse out and just give him a bath. Um, if you've got one of the shampoos that are um, appropriate for horses with uh, allergies, that's the best way to go. So I give them a bath, ideally be like a colloidal oatmeal um, shampoo for horses, or it would be a, a moisturizing shampoo for horses. Um, and, and that, if you can get, a lot of these allergens are actually coming straight through the skin. And so you can actually give the horse a lot of relief by just basically um, cleansing the horse, gently cleansing the horse. Um, and I'm going to take a little sidetrack here. One of the things that I see um, for pasture dermatitis horses in particular, um, 
but other horses, well, horses that have a lot of white on them or white, you know, socks or stockings, people use a lot of heart de harsh detergent sometimes to get those horses um, white as white as it can possibly be, right? But the headache with that is it strips some of these fats from the skin, the ceramides and the other fats and um, fatty acids that are in the skin, which actually are the barrier that Dr. White had mentioned to some of these allergens that horses get. So if you've got a horse that's got, um, oh, say, say scratches, past dermatitis, whatever, or a horse that's allergic, like this horse that just, you know, you happen to, you know, walk to the horse's stall and he's got hives all over him, do pick a mild shampoo because that, that detergent can actually make it worse over time, even in, in the short period of time. So I'd, I'd wash the horse off cold water better than warm water if you can, you know, if you're not in the middle of summer in the desert or something, but cold water, less release of histamines. You know, if you get in a hot shower, you'll be covered in, you know, you'll, you'll be pink pretty quick, um, but not when you're in cold water. That's partly histamine release that does that. So wash with cold water. And then, um, you know, management-wise, uh, picking your shampoos carefully, checking the horse's environment, thinking of anything that might be new in the horse's environment, um, you know, sometimes we assume it's bug bite because it's the most common, but sometimes it's the load of shavings or something else, right? So we're going to check for those things, try and see if any other horses have it, because sometimes it's an irritant even that can cause that more than a, even allergic reactions, although traditionally we think of hives as allergic. Um, and then a good time, if the horse is, if nothing else is wrong with the horse, good time to actually kind of set up a plan to talk with your veterinarian about what to do. Most commonly for those horses, the veterinarian is going to prescribe a small amount of generally oral or uh, intramuscular or IV um, dexamethasone, very small amount to get the horse through this, and then, um, you know, get those horses on a plan for control long term. So, Dr. Reshmer, you've mentioned now a, a steroid for um, helping manage these horses. Are there any special considerations when treating a horse that has Cushing's or PPID or has a, a, a history of laminitis? Um, are there any special considerations treating them when they also have uh, some of these allergy issues? Absolutely. And Michelle, that's a, a brilliant question. I'm glad you asked it. So, you know, in my mind, a horse that's obese, Okay, uh, that horse would be at higher risk for laminitis. A horse that's already had laminitis, certainly, clearly at higher risk for laminitis. And then the PPID horses have, you know, they're a little bit unusual, and Dr. White probably would be um, more likely to um, have a better um, discussion about that disease. But um, they do tend to have some unusual skin things. They, some of them sweat more than other horses, some sweat less than other horses. They can have changes in their hair coat. They're a little bit different. So, yes, absolutely, I do worry about steroids, particularly in that group of horses. Okay, but I also literally every time I, I pull out a bottle of steroid for a horse, I think about it. Am I am I sure that it's better for the horse to have the steroid than to not have it? I'd like to say that um, when we're talking about horses that have uh, allergies, so that the problem is recurrent or ongoing, to realize that steroids are sort of like a rescue drug, or I like to consider exactly. them. If you have the itch scratch cycle, if you have poison ivy or uh, tick bites or mosquito bites and you scratch them and then they itch more, so you scratch them more and then it goes round and round, that using systemic steroids, meaning you either give them orally or intravenously, um, they're a wedge to stop the itch scratch cycle because they just sort of turn off that inflammation. But they're not a long-term solution because they haven't solved anything. All they've done is diminish the symptoms for a short period of time. But if somebody's very 
worried about their um, older uh, metabolic syndrome horse with recurrent laminitis, uh, and you have, you'd like to use the benefit of some steroids to try and decrease the skin itching, there are some 1% leave-on, 1% um, hydrocortisone leave-on rinses, and the 1% hydrocortisone, as long as the skin has not been sandpapered raw, does not absorb well through the skin, and that is a, you know, an alternative to, to giving parental steroids is to use a, uh, is to use the 1% hydrocortisone topically. Right, and I tell or in conjunction with, right, you decrease the total dose. Yeah, and uh, I tell people that just consider it this way. You can buy 1% hydrocortisone diaper rash um, ointment for <laughs> newborn babies over the counter. And so you know that a lot of it is not getting in systemically or it w wouldn't be available um, for human use in neonates. And that, that often is very, very helpful, um, and it avoids the systemic use of the steroids. The other thing we probably ought to mention too, along with this line of, of discussion, is certainly horses that are going to horse shows um, that might be drug tested. Uh, you know, it's a really good question about certainly the FEI horses and all. Uh, you know, that I would not go to steroid first thing if I could possibly at all avoid it if the horse has got a show. Now, some horses, are, you know, the, the rules in some associations are a little bit different, but um, somebody to keep in mind anyway. So we're getting quite a few follow-up questions from our live audience that I want to touch on. Uh, Dr. Rashmer, I'm going to give this one to you. It's from Kimberly and also from uh, Maureen, who are both listening. And they've said that you mentioned fatty acids and feeding flax uh, right. to help these horses out. They want to know if you have any specific suggestions as far as uh, how much the horses should eat or a brand that they should look at or how do they know they're feeding their horse a quality omega-3 supplement? Okay, so um, we we know from research in human mega fatty acids that by the time you actually grind it up and like and put it, say, in an oil, flax oil, you know, the best, most expensive flax oil you can buy on the organic uh, supermarket shelf, okay, by the time it gets there, it's no good anymore. It's actually got rants enough that it could actually be pro-inflammatory instead of anti-inflammatory. So the best, I mean, the, the, the top line for your horse, which happens to be the least expensive, is to actually buy whole flax seed from someone reputable. Make sure that they're fresh seeds, and they can actually be stored whole in an appropriate environment, you know, not blazing hot, et cetera, um, for really up to a year. So... What we do is we actually take that and we grind it up, and I generally get clients to get a um, coffee grinder, grind it up, say, for a week for the horse um, at a time. There are products, and can I mention names or no? Would you prefer I don't? Oh, it, if you have suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so like, you know, one, for example, Platinum Formants is basically a flax-based product. And so the thing about them is it is stabilized flax. You can buy stabilized flax, um, but to actually gain control, I start real deal so that I know it hasn't been on the shelf too long. But the thing about the Platinum Performances and some of the other products is that they actually have a date on every bucket. And so I know that it hasn't been sitting there for two years and it's no longer um, fresh. And so I never hesitate for the people that just don't have the time to do that, that that's a reasonable alternative. So it's it's not the skin analogy part that's flax. It's just the regular Platinum Performance. And um, that's helped quite a few horses too. There's actually a study by that group 
um, to show that it actually decreases inflammation of the skin via skin testing. So a pound of flax is the standard. Um, I usually start with less than that. It's certainly enough, sorry, calories because it's a fat, it's calorie dense sort of stuff. Um, and so I just am very careful with the horses that are already a little bit overweight to make sure that they actually try to get the calories back from someplace else. Um, a lot of fiber in it, so it's actually, you know, really good way to uh, feed horses anyway. So um, up to a pound of flax or a pound of flax once a day per horse can be fed in one feeding or fed in several, just because I I'm an equine surgeon. I, you know, I think that colic is one of those things where I try to, I probably worry about more than even you with the with with your horses. Um, so I actually try and just make those things gradually. But for the acutely inflamed horse, I might actually start with a pound. But otherwise, uh, you know, three to four ounces um, for a few days and then move up from there. Um, but that is the like the gold standard of feeding flax to horse. Fresh ground, you ground yourself with good quality seeds. Again, the seeds are uniform in size and uniform in color when they're fresh. And, so, and I will. I want. I want to add one thing because, and this is preempting some questions that's going to come in further. Of all the different things that you can go into a feed and tax store or catalog and look for the super supplement that's going to make your horse's skin the best. In reality, the only evidence-based um, medicine, if you will, the only scientifically-based information that we have that helps is for the omega-3 supplements and the best source from that is, is as Dr. Ashmore said, flaxseed. So, um, you know, you can be totally overwhelmed in supplement land, but this is the one, this is the one I've thing. I've been there. That, <laughs> this is the one thing that we have good scientific evidence on. Absolutely. Yeah, and so Dr. Rashmore, you gave a presentation at the AAP uh, convention in December that convinced me that my um, older dressage horse. horse, my older dressage horse yeah. uh, needed his omega-3s. So he's getting um, a cup a day of ground flaxseed. Is that enough? So it's interesting. It depends how big your cup is, right? Um, and if you don't have a way to easily measure one pound, if you buy a 40-pound sack and it's not gone in 40 days, then you know it's not enough. Okay. Or you can take what you've ground to the grocery store and put it in the, right. in the vegetable layer. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people have um, food scales. Um, it's not that uncommon. So it's very easy to weigh. Okay. So weight, weight over volume then. Absolutely. Yeah. And is your horse, can you tell the difference in your horse at all? Um, yeah, his coat looks great. I have to say that his okay. coat is looking really nice as it's coming in and um, he's not getting it just he does have some skin issues. He's getting it for for some joint issues as well. So he's getting a lot of care. <laughs> so, yeah, good. Can't point to one thing that's helping, but all together it seems to be. Um, we we have a question from Karen in our live audience and she says that her horse has hives on her neck due to some sort of fly or insect bite, what specifically can I put on or do to help or eliminate those hives? So Dr. Rashmer, you, you talked about um, bathing. We've talked about some topicals. Is there any other advice that you would give Karen? You know, it's, it, it, so if she has a fly sheet for the rest of the horse's body and she doesn't have the neck piece, I'd buy the neck piece. You know, there are that many flies that would just bite the neck. There are some that would just bite the, bite the chest. Um, so that might be worthwhile incorporating a, you know, a fly sheet with a neck piece in, um, you know, the hood or, or um, just 
something to cover that area, certainly that would help. Long-acting fly sprays. While it's one area where you get what you pay for, I think, for the most part, um, we need to get with the long-acting fly sprays, the piperinol detoxizer, I mean, the ones that are potentiated. Um, and some of them will actually say, you know, once use it once every seven days. We actually use it um, twice a day if we possibly can. Uh, and just so the horse you know, doesn't have to undergo getting bit so that it has the reaction. Um, so certainly the mega fatty acids would help that horse. Um, you know, any emollient sort of thing would help the horse. If it's topical um, steroids, it might might help that horse as well. It's kind of a wonder. Um, is it? How does she know their fly bites? Is it? It's hives or it's what? Because I've actually had horses that are allergic to um, you know, the big things uh, in quarter horses that you know they're trying to sweat their neck. I've had horses get hives with neoprene before, so it can be a contact allergen as well. So, I, I, you know, go ahead. I I don't know if the, your um, listener is showing that horse or not, but having owned a very insect bite hypersensitive horse myself, who when he was exposed to, I don't know, lots of different, I don't know which f teeth with wings were doing the biting, but he would periodically get highs from insect bites as well as having all the other clinical signs. And this is the one place where I think hydroxyzine is helpful in those horses that are prone to hives. And um, the, the downside of using hydroxyzine is that if, you're, if your horse is a show horse, it's one of the prohibited substances and, as far as yeah. showing them. If your horse is a pleasure horse or a trail horse or and it's got a period of time when they're not showing. Um, that's It's not a topical, but I tell you what, my own personal horse, I use him all the time when I talk and show him with his roughed and scrubbed out hair and these big hives on him, which um, were well controlled under with hydroxyzine. It's one of my go-tos. Dr. White, we have a question from our live audience, uh, Annabeth, and we're gonna switch, switch gears a little bit. Annabeth has a horse who has been getting rain rot for the past three or four years. She wants to know why has this started happening and what can she do to treat her horse and get this under control quickly? So can you explain a little bit what rain rot is and then give uh, Anna Beth some advice? Yes, um, rain rot is caused by a bacterial um, organism that forms zoospores and it's believed, it's it can it can exist in the environment for quite a considerable amount of time. There's some controversy about whether uh, wildlife are a vector for zoospores in the environment, and then there are it's believed that some horses carry in apparent infections or spores of this disease. And when the skin is damaged, usually macerated because it's wet for a prolonged period of time. Um, and that can be from standing in the rain, which is where the name comes from. It can be from being sweaty under uh, a saddle blanket and the horse wasn't particularly clean and then the sweat and the dirt uh, stay on the horse and damage the skin. It can occur on the limbs as a, as a form of scratches or passion dermatitis. Um, most commonly, it occurs in, I would say, in my part of the country, at least, in the wintertime, uh, where horses have long coats. They tend to, you know, collect dirt as 
in the long hairs, and then they can get um, wet, and then the uh, infection gets a chance to get started in the upper upper uh, cell layers of the skin. The most important thing to keep from getting this disease is one, keep the horse dry. And if you don't have a horse that's living in a stall, um, having a run-in shed in the pasture so they can get out of the weather for a while, or if you have them turned out um, and have a barn, you might want them up long enough each day so they completely dry. Uh, and cleanliness, that's the other thing. It's hard to give horses baths in the winter, but um, you know, vigorous grooming of the skin to stimulate the, the skin oils and remove the dirt um, can help. Um, I've seen, I have a whole slide bank of all the ways that, that the dermatophilus can, can present in horses. And I have to admit, my own horses that sort of live out, um, I don't blanket, I don't clip, I don't do any of this. I've had them for uh, decades in the south, and they've never had rain rot, even when I ignore them. And this year, for the first time, they had both got um, a mild infection on their top line. Um, and I think it was because we had a relatively mild winter that never dried out. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say how do I prevent it. The best way, one thing you might do if you have to have a horse turned out and you can't get them anywhere where they get dry is you can get waterproof, breathable Gore-Tex blankets for them, which can help protect the skin from not only dirt but from wet weather. The consequences in my part of the country is we have this up and down temperature scale where people blanket horses and then they sweat underneath the blanket because it becomes warm for a couple of days and the blanket does not get taken off. And then you've got the conditions under the blanket that you're trying to protect against. Um, I will say the worst case of dermatophilus I've ever seen was in a horse that was blanketed. Nobody ever took the blanket off until the horse stopped eating. Yeah. You know, it, they turned it out with a blanket. It ran around, got sweaty came back in the stall and that horse had the worst case ever. Yeah, that's why um, I never blanket yeah. mine, you know. <laughs> I just Well, I do I do like blanketing for some horses that have problems with it, but here's the other thing I would actually ask um the person who horse. Sometimes it's one horse in the herd and sometimes it's um the entire herd of horses that has a problem. And I, I asked the question of how those horses are fed. Horses um that are you know marginal as far as immune function because of, say, they're missing some, you know, they might be a little, little bit lower protein than they need to be. They might actually be missing some copper in their diet. They might be missing whatever would be zinc, in any of the um, nutrients that horses need. I, I have um, definitely had horses where once you actually get them on a good quality diet, they stop having it. Um, and then the other, not every horse, but, uh, but particularly for those herd outbreaks of it. And then the other thing I think is worthwhile on the one horse that gets it when the others don't. Is that the low man on the totem pole? Is he maybe a little younger right. or maybe a little older? So his mean function is not like it would be. So I think really, um, I definitely have looked at the horse's diet if you had a problem in a place. Definitely. Right. Poor nutrition often goes hand in hand in the wintertime with long yeah. coat, dirt, and rain just because pastures Brown are not. Of hay. Yeah, that's right. Pastures, yeah, aren't pastures are, not, that's right. are not nutritious mm -hmm. and hay quality may be marginal and if they're in a group they may be the low man on the totem pole um, and you know back to this what is necessary for skin health you can find lists of you know you need zinc you need copper you need vitamin a you need 
uh, vitamin E, you need this, you need that. What most people don't understand is you need all those things, but you need them in particular combinations, and they have exactly. to be balanced in the amount one to the other. And, you know, this is what nutritionists spend their life doing. And, and Dr. Ashmer is exactly right. They're often the poor doers, not, not the case of my horses. I think that was simply environmental. But what it gets back to, I think, and I, interestingly enough, I did, a, I did an educational program in Kentucky this winter, and we had a, a lab, and we had lots of cases brought in. And I was told, oh, it's good. We have all these cases coming in, and they all have something different. They didn't. <laughs> they all the same thing, but different places. They all, yeah. they all had dermatophilosis <laughs> in various forms. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, Dr. White, we have a question that came in from Liz in Lexington, Kentucky, and she wanted to know if rain rot, rain rot is spread from horse to horse through grooming brushes or saddle pads. She said that she's heard conflicting advice on this. Yes, it can be, and the rule is is if you have one horse out of a, a group that is affected, that it needs its own brushes and its own tack, and you should wash them. You know, I, when I was treating my own horses, which was kind of comical because I was using warm water because it was cold and I had to bring them to the house from the barn and tie them to the four-wheeler. And, but um, you, you should wash your brushes and you should try and collect the scabs that come off of them and dispose of them somewhere, you know, like in a trash container because they can, um, uh, you know, they, this bacteria does make modal zoospores and you can transfer them from one horse to another. And so washing blankets, washing grooming tools, um, and if you're, you, if you have a mild superficial case where, a, you know, several good groomings removes the smaller non-painful scabs, you should collect those and dispose of them in a way that they don't get spread around in the environment. So, Dr. White, thing, I, oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Rashmer. I'm sorry. So the other thing I would add, it's counterintuitive as it sounds. One of the things we do also for these horses is we actually bathe them in a, you can make them wet, right? We bathe them um, in one of the shampoos that's uh, for that that problem. And so um, like an antibacterial or antibacterial hyphen antifungal shampoo, um, look, it's definitely worthwhile decontaminating the area. Now, we're not going to keep them wet and keep them bathed, but bathe them, dry them to the best of your ability, and see if you can't just cut the load of the bacteria down right. so that they spread it less and also reinfect themselves less. Yes, and I, wa I want to say one thing about picking your shampoo. Um, what Dr. Rashmir is referring to is probably the chlorhexidine um, shampoos. Chlorhexidine. You can, either, you can mm -hmm. either get them with just chlorhexidine or chlorhexidine with uh, myconazole yeah. or ketoconazole. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of using betadine shampoo. It really no. dries out skin. Yeah. It, it, it hurts them if they have, um, you know, it irritates the skin and it'll break off the hairs. And, you know, for my own horses, I was kind of appalled. I had been traveling and, you know, I bathed them once and then I they live out in a 20 acres and I started bringing them in um, for eight hours a day so they could get completely dry and then and then grooming them and that's all it took it was one one bath but Dr. Rashmer is right you can't go wrong bathing the horse if it's possible not everybody can bathe a horse in the winter right or the spring or whatever time of year that um you know 
depends on where you live, certainly, but yes, absolutely. So we're down to uh, only about eight minutes left uh, in tonight's uh, broadcast. So I want to do some rapid fire questions for you guys uh, to see if we can um, cover some of these questions for people um, that I think are, are really interesting. Um, so we have Susan in Illinois, Dr. Rashmer wants to know about bathing. She said that racehorses in training get bathed daily um, or at least get their feet and legs sprayed off. Some of them seem to develop fungus or crud on their legs, and that's hard to clear up. What suggestions do you have for a horse that is getting bathed a lot? Good quality shampoo, no doubt about it. You know, there are shampoos that are specifically, sorry, specifically for horses or specifically for animals. Um, I would stick with those. The other thing, too, um, if you actually go to the backstretch on the track, you'll see that a lot of those horses are getting bathed in things like Dawn, dish, Dawn dishwashing detergent, which, you know, if it cuts the grease in your pants, it's cutting the fats out of your horse's skin. Remember we said that was a good um, barrier to allergens and bacteria and things like that. And so one of the problems that racehorses get because of this, you know, constant wetting bathing process is they'll get a fair amount in, in stripping of the fats. They'll actually get a fair amount of problems with ringworm. The worst case is ringworms typically on the racetrack. Young animals, uh, high density of animals where it can spread. Riders come, you know, they ride a horse, they get on the next horse, their boots just bring the ringworm to it. And they don't have that protective layer. So if you're going to bathe the horse every day, and look, I actually um, have lived in areas and, and worked horses hard enough that I, you know, I'm sure that they were happier being bathed. But I don't use soap every time. Sometimes I just hose them off. If I'm going to use a soap, I'm going to use a soap that is actually, like I said, um, gentle um, cleansing. It doesn't have to be actually soap. It can be one of the other, like a colloidal oatmeal product, which doesn't necessarily have to have soap in it, but will still clean the horse um, and rid the horse of some allergens. The other thing I will, um, I think it's worthwhile mentioning, if you read in the literature about using some of these shampoos that are important for horses that have allergies, one of the things that they'll mention is contact time. And so that's really important if you've got like a colloidal oatmeal shampoo or a, a shampoo that actually is used to hydrate a horse's skin, that actually the shampoo sits on there long enough so that it can actually work, okay? But if you're using like an antibacterial shampoo or some other shampoo that sits on the horse's skin, it can actually be an irritant to the horse. So just the other thing, if you're going to, you know, use a good shampoo, but use it correctly would be my take on that. So I don't think it's wrong to bathe the horse every day in, in, when it's sweating a lot and make it more comfortable and cool it down. But I just would caution you to do something gentle or even just hosing the horse off um, and, you know, maybe washing the horse maybe two times a week or something. Some horses tolerate it really well and probably actually are better if you wash them a bit more. But, you know, for the average horse with the average amount of work, a couple times a week and then hosing between is a, generally a good way to go. Um, Dr. White Allison's in our live audience. She said she lives in Florida and she's afraid to use a fly sheet on her horse because of the heat. She said it, she's afraid that it might cause other problems for her horse. Should she not worry about the heat from the fly sheet? Um, there are a number of very good quality fly sheets that are made to be on horses in the summer. And I would suggest that um, she have two of them. I always say you need one on the horse and one in the washing machine. Um, the problems generally come when those light mesh sheets get dirty and they help trap dirt uh, and allergens on the skin. So as long as she, the horse is hosed and the fly sheets are clean, it really shouldn't be a problem. The other thing I think, too, we need to think about is um, if the horse is dark, and most horses, you know, we don't have that, there are gray horses, and um, and there are some white horses, but most horses are dark. And so if you put a light-colored fly sheet on that horse, and I even use the ones that 
aren't, aren't necessarily mesh, like you know, ones that's actually specifically for flies are very light, that actually might be cooler for the horse than not having it on. Yes, like like the uh, desert people who wear the white exactly. bayas that are like tents over them that keep the solar radiation off. But cleanliness right. is everything. I hope that message yes. is coming from both of us. Wash um, that thing. Wash yeah. it in something gentle. That's right. Yes. Free Don't and do clear. the biz like my kid. Yeah, like I do. Yes, use free and clear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dr. White, we have a question from Callie in our live audience. She wants to know, uh, should we be using diluted apple cider vinegar to spray on our horse or Listerine? We've heard this a lot, spray Listerine or apple cider vinegar on skin issues. What are your thoughts? Um, I think that the vinegar Listerine uh, uh, message has probably come from that's a those are products that have been advocated for the use of spot treatment of ringworm. Um, ringworm is an interesting, again, it's often related to nutrition and age and cleanliness and most ringworm is self-limiting. So just about anything you use gets credit for getting rid of it in many instances. Um, as far as solving a fly problem, um, it might work for a few minutes, but uh, no, I, I don't think that's particularly advantageous. Um, I don't have a lot of experience of people who consistently put vinegar or Listerine on their horse's skin, but I can imagine that there are some horses with very, very sensitive skin that you might irritate with very frequent application of it. Uh, Dr. Rashmir, are you want to weigh in on this? So, Michelle, are they asking about using it for wounds, or what, what is the question? For um, skin, and yeah. I've I've heard this before. Like if your horse yeah. rubs their tail and they right. seem to have dandruff, you put Listerine in a spray bottle and spray it on on the horse, and, and it, it it solves the whatever's causing the itching and the and the dandruff. And well, uh, yeah. Well, so here here's um. <laughs> All right, so Listerine is a bit of an antibacterial, at least it's advertised as such, right? So, I mean, that right. may be part of the reason. But if they're rubbing their tail, look, the first thing I would do is, not only would I would deworm the horse, but I'd actually clean around the horse's perineum. Um, there's a lot of press out there about um, horses that have pinworms that maybe the pinworms aren't actually um, sensitive to dewormers anymore. But I think we just are inappropriately using those dewormers. So like if you had a child and the child was diagnosed with pinworms, they would wash everything the child wore. They'd wash the child's bedding and they'd probably deworm the child and everybody in the house that might actually have been exposed, right? And so when we actually deworm horses, because we deworm them because they're rubbing their tail. And so we think it might be pinworms. We deworm them and we just let everything else go. And so the reason the horses itch their tail when they have pinworms is because they've laid eggs that are very itchy around their um, perineal area, around their anus, um, under their tail sort of thing. Those pinworms lay their eggs there and that is actually very itchy the horse. The horse itches it on something, right? And that's how the, the pinworm is spread um, because they itch off onto whatever the horse is itching it on. And so if we just deworm the horse and leave those eggs right there, then the horse gets reinfested right away, right? Because in the horse's environment, it gets reinfested right away and we go back to tail itching. And so problem in my mind, at least in the places that I've lived uh, across the country, that's probably the most com still the most common reason why people 
um, have problems with the horse's tail itching. That'd be number one. Um, number two would be ticks and biting insects. Okay, so ticks that like ticks don't fly, but they have um, you know certainly they can um, biting insects, but they don't fly. And then flying biting insects as well that feed in those areas, um, and they can set the horse up for secondary bacterial infections because of that it's an open wound or um, it's not clean when, when whatever the the fly bites them or the tick bites them, they get secondary bacterial infection. So the fly can be irritating to it, make them itch their tail. The secondary infection from the fly bite or the tick bite can make them itchy, usually it's a staph or a strep. So, um, you know, those animals that have primary fly problems, like the Keelcoides horses that rub their tails, need to have control of that environment um, for that and the things we talked about already, the mega fatty acids, the cleansing, all that. And the ones that have um, secondary bacterial infections could could potentially, if you remove the ticks and there's a, you know, you can tell it's kind of soupy under there, you know, certainly cleansing that area, applying a topical antibiotic ointment would be worthwhile. Um, so, it, you know, and there are horses that do, I really honestly do believe that they rub their tail because they've got smegma, either, you know, in the prefuse and sheath, sorry, in, the, in their prefuse and the, around the penis, et cetera, or between their um, mammary glands. So, just having a look at what actually is causing the tail rubbing, thinking about what it could possibly be, and then trying to work on those areas. And then if that doesn't work, then I say we have the conversation again, and we'll decide what to do next. So there you go. <laughs> those oh, those a long, long way to say that vinegar and Listerine are probably not the answer to your problem. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, Sorry. we... We are unfortunately out of time tonight, um, but I do want to let everyone who's listening uh, know that we know that you have tons of questions about this topic, and there are so many different skin issues out there that we've compiled, the editors of the horse have compiled a list of our top 10 resources for skin skin problems. You can go to thehorse.com slash skin problems um, in your web browser, and you can find that article, and it has links to all those different resources that we have on thehorse.com. Before we close tonight, I just want to ask you each for your closing thoughts. Uh, Dr. White, let's start with you. What, what advice, what one piece of advice would you like people to, to leave with tonight? I, I would go back and say that our sort of uh, overall theme was seasonal incidence of paritis and that the vast majority of these are related to insects of various kinds, and I'm including the non-insect eight-legged uh, ticks and, and mites in there too, is to realize that this is not something that you cure that this is an ongoing management problem and that you have to concentrate in a number of different areas in order to bring relief to your horse. And that is practice the best avoidance that you can, uh, practice the best environmental management that you can, and then uh, try and utilize the uh, fewest but best combination of specific therapies for your particular horse to manage the problem. And Dr. Rashmer? I would, I would definitely second that. I think that is actually a brilliant way to end. I, I would also love to add that, um, you know, a lot of these horses really are bothered probably more than we even know about it. I don't know if you've, you personally out there in the audience have ever had hives or, or rashes on your skin, or can you imagine being so itchy you rubbed your hair out? I mean, seriously. So I think, you know, just, keeping in mind that these horses are suffering and doing whatever we can to maintain their welfare, improve their welfare, so they don't have to suffer this. Because I could imagine it to be a, really a sort of a horrific sort of thing to live with um, for the guys that have the problems. 
Well, thank you both uh, Dr. Ann Rashmer and Dr. Susan White for joining us tonight. I re we really appreciated all, all the information that you had about our topic. Um, I also want to thank our sponsor, Kinetic Vet, who brought this event to the audience for free tonight. Also, thank you to everyone who sent in questions and joined us live and sent in questions. We couldn't do these events without your questions, so thank you. Until next time, I'm Michelle Anderson for The Horse and TheHorse.com. From all of us here, good night, and hopefully your horses stop itching soon.